Welcome back. I'm Peter St. Ange. This is a weekly roundup of my daily videos on the economy and freedom, where I cut through the BS and lay out what the gaslighting clowns pulled out of their hats this week and what is coming next. Tens of thousands of mainstream journalists are being laid off in what's being called an extinction event for corporate journalism. Of course, for regular Americans, that all sounds pretty fantastic, given those corporate journalists have become woke Marxist activists whose main purpose is gaslighting voters into the revolution. Meaning it might be a very good thing if those scribblers put away their keyboards and learn how to, say, install drywall. The pace is now quickening with last week's wide-ranging layoffs at the LA Times, once among America's most prestigious newspapers, They laid off 20% of their staff, including 115 journalists, and including their entire D.C. bureau in an election year, along with gutting sports, tech business, and even breaking news media's traditional bread and butter. Meanwhile, BuzzFeed just shuttered its news division, which was once worth $1.3 billion and is now down 98%. Sports Illustrated just closed altogether. We've seen major layoffs at Time Magazine, Atlantic, The Washington Post, NPR, Bloomberg, and Condé Nast which publishes the New Yorker and Vanity Fair. Even the New York Times cut 240 jobs after the gray lady lost tens of millions last year. In all, according to Axios, 20,000 media jobs were cut last year, which is up six times from the previous year. So far in 2024, they appear to be accelerating. So what's driving it? In short, a loss of trust, which is turning off readers taking ad revenue along with them. After all, if people don't trust you, they won't subscribe, many won't even read. In fact, Americans' trust in media has plummeted to a record low, with just one in three Americans saying they have any trust in the media. A record high of Americans, so almost 40%, say they have zero trust in the media at all. Just 29% of independent voters trust media, and a dismal 11% of Republicans. Of course, together, those two groups make up over two-thirds of the country. Even Democrats are losing faith, with trust dropping 18 points since COVID, driven especially by younger Democrats who no longer believe that journalists tell the truth. Incidentally, trust in media has fallen straight lines since 2018, which is when they threw off the mask of objectivity, starting with Trump and then trying to cancel everybody from Alex Jones and Milo Yiannopoulos to all of us, converting themselves into the intellectual bodyguard of the Marxist elite, carrying water on everything from the vax to the BLM riots, to, of course, transitory inflation and the miracle that is Bidenomics. It's hard to rebuild trust after all of that. So what's next? The corporate media isn't just dying, it is actively killing itself, replaced by grassroots news sources who are often more expert and certainly are more honest. The news media will continue lying, they'll continue attacking their readers, they'll continue trying to censor you. The same game plan that has been wiping them out and, in the process, progressively removing themselves from the conversation altogether. I'd actually expected to accelerate. Elon Musk has built a distribution channel on X or Twitter where the alternative media can finally compete on a level playing field with the dinosaurs. For example, these daily videos get half a million views produced on an iPhone and a $100 mic, and there are thousands like me who are eager to replace the lying activists who run our dying mediocrity. The Washington Uniparty just crapped out a border deal that, as you would expect, puts America last. The deal trades more money for Ukraine and Israel in return for keeping our borders wide open and actually giving 1.5 million illegal border crossers amnesty while locking in green card giveaways through 2030, presumably in the expectation that they will become loyal socialist voters as previous waves of illegals have. 
the welfare warfare state in full effect with the added bonus of replacing Americans with a crop of brand new voters. If it worked for California, by gum, it can work for America. This little deuce was hatched by a handful of corrupt rhinos teaming up with socialist Democrats. As always, when you hear the word bipartisan in Washington, that means the corrupt uniparty is coming for you. First, the specifics. It would spend $118 billion. For this, we would get legalization of 1.5 million illegals per year. That's 5,000 per day. The other 10 million plus illegals will presumably have to wait for another war, perhaps the one we are cooking up with Iran or over Taiwan. It hands $2.3 billion immediately to the non-government organizations that are making a mint importing welfare cases to every nook and cranny of America because Democrats do know who brought them to the party. And then comes the payoff to Republicans. The bill plows over $93 billion into our rapidly expanding universe of wars, including $14 billion to Israel and another $5 billion for Hamas, or Gaza. Incidentally, just last week, Rand Paul was marveling how we somehow managed to fund both sides of wars. So there you go. Beyond Hamas, the sellout leads no war behind, with $5 billion going to gin up a war with China. They're already moving weapons to Australia in preparation. And $2.3 billion for the Red Sea, which is used by European and Chinese ships, but not by American ships. Somehow, though, we must pay. Finally, a crisp $60 billion for Ukraine's lost cause, so Zelensky can continue sending the flower of Ukraine's youth to die in his pointless meat grander. Of course, the left is still angry because having intentionally thrown open the southern border to human traffic, 10 million political footballs, they wanted more amnesty so they could flip more states blue. Meanwhile, Republican voters, of course, once again feel betrayed by a party that will sell them down the river if it funds just one corrupt dictator and secures some cheap fruit pickers and manual labor for their corporate donors. So what's next? Joe Biden could fix immigration immediately with the stroke of a pen by simply reinstating Trump-era policies, including the so-called Remain in Mexico policy that required amnesty applicants to stay put until processed. Instead, his handlers are trying to milk their crisis to replace the current voters with a brand new crop, all while funding the army of non-government organizations that sustain their activist industrial complex. All with a GOP too corrupt to care so long as the donor checks keep flowing. Whether the Uniparty passes this turd sandwich or keeps kicking the can down the open border road, it's going to benefit Donald Trump in November at which point all eyes turn to the margin of cheating to know whether there is light in that tunnel or whether we've got even darker days ahead. I'm a big fan of saving Bitcoin for the long term, and the Unchained Bitcoin IRA is a great way to do that. You get the tax advantages, and if it's a Roth IRA, you're not going to pay capital gains so long as you hodl. Most Bitcoin IRAs make you give up control, which can expose you to exchange hacks or even relend it out like banks do. With Unchained, you control the keys to your Bitcoin, which means you always know it's there. They also provide one-on-one concierge service to walk you through it and answer any questions. Why pay more taxes than you need to? Set it up today at Unchained.com. Use promo code PETER to get $100 off a Bitcoin IRA. A couple days ago, we got what Zero Hedge called the most ridiculous jobs report in recent history. On the surface, it was a blockbuster, and as with pretty much all jobs reports nowadays, it was a clown show on the inside. So first, the blockbuster. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, whose in-house statisticians are among the most creative your tax dollars pay, reported that the U.S. unexpectedly added 353,000 jobs last month. 
That was double the Wall Street consensus, meaning either Wall Street really sucks at estimating jobs, or Joe Biden's statisticians are just that good. The numbers were stellar across the board, with unemployment holding steady and average hourly earnings spiking by 4.5%, also way beyond predictions. At which point, we pull away the curtain. Start with that amazing job growth. It turns out it isn't real. It was magicked up by BLS statisticians slashing the work week. Now, if you pretend there's fewer hours, the pay per hour magically jumps. Not because people were paid more, but because you assumed, with no evidence, the work week down. In fact, they slashed it all the way down to 34.1 hours, note 40 is full time. Outside COVID lockdowns, that is a number we have not seen since the depths of the 2008 crisis. In other words, the only way wages are stellar are if you assume that hours are being cut to 2008 crisis territory. Why would you do that? Two reasons. Either we are actually in the depths of a 2008 crisis, blockbuster or no, or you need some extra budget from the White House and told your statisticians to get extra creative. Worse is the jobs themselves. In short, they're not real, according to now a parade of data series. In a recent video, I mentioned the Census Household Survey, which actually asks people if they're working, and that suggests that roughly half the BLS jobs are fake. In fact, according to the Census, last month we didn't get a blockbuster 353,000 jobs, we actually lost 31,000. Second, data on part-time work suggests that actually we created precisely zero full-time jobs last year. What jobs we got were DoorDash and second jobs because people cannot make ends meet. Third, yet other data, this time by the Wall Street Journal, says the few full-time jobs that were created last year were mostly government and social assistance. Things like using taxpayer billions for illegals. Note, if we had zero net full-time jobs, yet half of what was created was government, then the private sector actually shrunk. A lot. Note, the private sector is the sector that actually creates things. The government does not create. So if private is shrinking, we are getting poorer as a country. And finally, speaking of legals, new data says the U.S. economy has created literally zero jobs for native-born workers since 2018. All of the job growth has been foreign-born. So how can the numbers be so far off, you ask? One word, seasonal adjustment. In fact, comparing raw data to the BLS seasonal adjustment, there's literally a 3 million job difference. Now, seasonal adjustment is legit, say Christmas-time warehouse workers or summertime fruit pickers, But 3 million in statistical adjustment leaves a whole lot of room to do friends for your favors at the White House. So what's next? The two most important economic statistics for Joe Biden are jobs and inflation. Both, at this point, are gamed to hilarity. The facts on the ground are what Americans are saying in opinion polls, that things are hard and getting harder, but the media will keep gaslighting and Americans will keep believing what they see with their own eyes. What would a Trump victory mean for the American economy? A few days ago, Swiss megabank UBS put out a research note asking what if Trump wins. This comes on the heels of a separate prediction from the former investment chief of Soros, fund management, saying a Trump win would make stock markets soar, which matters since stocks make up most of the retirement accounts of Americans. The context here, the reason all these characters are gaming out Trump is because Biden is running the worst third-year approval numbers in history, even worse than Jimmy Carter, who won five states. Meanwhile, Trump is running 20 points ahead on which candidate would better handle the economy, and 30 points ahead on which candidate would better handle immigration and the border. So given these are overwhelmingly the top 
two issues for American voters, that is a pretty insurmountable pair of hurdles, at least when it comes to actual votes cast. Now, I've talked in recent videos about the border, so today I will focus on the economics. Kicking off with UBS, their main moving parts of the dollar, Federal Reserve interest rates, changes to trade relationships, especially with China, and stocks. I'll add the big one, which is inflation, namely federal spending and ending Joe Biden's regulatory war, which threatens to wipe out entire industries from domestic energy to gig work like Uber. UBS notes that most institutional investors now think Trump will win, mirroring his 2016 result. Of course, that win set off an economic boom with stocks and jobs soaring and inflation under 2%, a Goldilocks scenario that lasted all the way through the COVID catastrophe. The question is, do we repeat that Trump miracle? UBS thinks we don't because we're in a later stage of the economic cycle. In other words, the recession is a lock. So they expect the dollar to weaken no matter who wins, and they expect interest rates and inflation to come down in response to that recession. Punctuated only by inflation and imported goods, especially from China, as Trump ramps up trade friction. Indeed, Trump has already floated 60% tariffs on Chinese goods, which would wipe many of them out. Note, 60% tariffs would also wipe out any American exporter who relies on Chinese goods, which is pretty much all of them, at least until domestic or nearshored production replaces the Chinese. But that is all deck chairs on the Titanic compared to the recession itself. And there the question is, does a Trump victory head off recession? It's actually possible, but Trump would need to pass some major reforms, starting with extending his tax cuts, currently set to expire next year, followed by massive regulatory reform that would free up domestic energy, manufacturing, and small business. If he pulls that off, while at least stopping the growth of federal spending, which drives inflation, then you could get enough real growth to take the edge off the coming recession or even cancel it altogether. Of course, all that would take a Washington miracle, a whole different Congress than Trump had last time when he was up against a unified front of rhinos and Democrats. So what's next? Trump's rising not only in the polls, but also in the election betting odds, which captures some of the cheating. Even if he does win, though, he would need a Washington miracle to head off the next recession. Still, a Trump win could at least stop the economic rot. Things wouldn't necessarily get better overnight, but they could stop getting worse. This podcast is supported by our sponsor, MoneyMetals.com, the most trusted bullion dealer and depository in the United States. Known for their competitive pricing, excellent customer service, and fast delivery of physical gold and silver, as well as their educational content and advocacy for sound money policies at the state and federal level. They've set the industry standard for selling, buying, and storing precious metals. If you're looking to help protect yourself against inflation and market turmoil, I hope you'll give them a try. To learn more or to buy your physical gold and silver, go to MoneyMetals.com. Do illegal immigrants solve labor shortages? Do we need them to have a functioning economy? This is a standard argument of the left that they used to import millions of unskilled migrants into the U.S. and Europe, and now with immigration becoming a top voter concern in both America and Europe to the point it's driving millions of voters to populist candidates, the left-wing media is laying out the gaslight trying to convince voters that we need millions of unvetted quasi-educated foreigners to avert a demographic crisis. The claim is we have a severe labor shortage and only immigration can solve it. A well-funded pro-immigrant push poll last year phrased it that way, asking if it was important to increase immigration to, quote, address labor shortages and inflation. 
By the way, the inflation bit is basically saying that without all these millions of additional workers, wages would go up. More on that. So let's take it head on. Do illegal immigrants solve labor shortages? In short, no, because immigrants bring their own labor shortage with them. After all, they go to the dentist, they fix their cars, they go to McDonald's, and especially illegals certainly consume social work and police. It's pretty obvious logically. After all, if America annexed, say, the country of France, population 65 million, we would not suddenly have 65 million extra workers lying around unused. Because the good people of France are already very busy, they hire each other as dentists, mechanics, fast food workers, and everything in between. So they would bring their own job shortage with them. In fact, as pretty close to a constant worldwide, a new immigrant uses almost as much labor as they contribute. So where does the notion come from? Well, at that point, we get into the composition of immigrants. Who exactly is being admitted? So if, say, you admit 10,000 dentists, then yes, you will have a worse shortage of car mechanics and fast food workers, but you will have very cheap dentists. Now, if instead you import 10 million unskilled workers, you'll have very, very cheap unskilled workers, but you, maybe you'll have to wait three months to see a dentist or a car mechanic will charge double. By gum, though, you will have cheap fruit pickers. So you worsen the shortage of skilled workers while you cause a glut of unskilled workers that drives your own unskilled workers down to poverty-level wages. Indeed, that's why corporations push the labor shortage argument in the first place. They quite like poverty wages, however they get it. Incidentally, this is why even Donald Trump was advocating more immigration, but more skilled immigration. More dentists, doctors, engineers, people we actually do have a shortage of, and fewer semi-literate manual laborers. So what's next? The labor shortage argument is the left's go-to, but voters are not buying it because they see the other problems, the welfare, the crime, the plunging wages for manual labor or factory jobs. A recent poll in France, which is suffering its own left-driven migrant flood, found that 7 in 10 reject that argument, notably more women than men rejected, and of course French blue-collars rejected strongly, since they know the unskilled migrants in question will undercut their own wages to poverty level. Of course, none of this will stop the globalists who have infiltrated Western governments. They see voters as an obstacle, not a constituency to serve. But being clear on the facts can help sway the undecided. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to get next week's episode fresh in your inbox and go to petersanonge.com to read the weekly articles with charts and all the gory details. Okay, we'll be watching. See you next time.